Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever and whenever you are tuning into today's podcast. Um, I am joined by Lou Kinawuka. Did I get that right, Lou? Did I get that right? No. no. Oh, see, I'm, I, how, how do I pronounce the surname? I should have checked this before we started. <laughs> Um, Kiwanuka. She is founder of the Shaper Group, the Ops Nest. She's vice chair of ESSA. And she's also um, one of the 100 most influential people in the events industry, voted by the followers of Eventex. So, Lou, welcome to today's podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's probably long overdue, right? I mean, we've known each other, seen each other at ESSA events, AO events, and you know, this is one of those conversations that we should have probably done a long, long time ago. But yeah. now is a really good time, um, not only through your own experience of obviously um, being in operations through you no know, events being allowed to happen specifically here in the UK, but also mm -hmm. your involvement in the pilot event that recently took place and your experience and your, more importantly, your learnings, I think, as an attendee to that event. I, I found mm -hmm. some of that really fascinating. But before we get into that, can you tell our listeners, our viewers today, a little bit about your history and events, how you got into it, what the career looked like, and, and kind of, I guess, what you currently do now um, for event organisers around the world? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I, I started, I temped um, in the summer of when I was at uni um, at Blenheim, um, so a fair few years ago now, um, in the operations team. Um, I got asked back, um, so I must have been doing something all right, or they were desperate, one of the two. Um, and I kind of left uni a bit early um, on the promise of a full-time job. So I kind of took, took my exams, but didn't do quite as well on them because I started working at Easter. So, and I've been in it ever since, and I suppose not, not alone in the fact that if you're in it for a year and you've not managed to get out, then you're in it for, in it for life. Um, I would say um, I've always been in operations um, up until the time where myself and my partner at the time launched a show. Uh, which went disastrously wrong. Um, we lost the house. Uh, we lost. We lost a lot. Um, and but while while I was working on that, you know, did sales, marketing, um, you know, business investment, uh, sourcing and uh, financing, credit control, everything. So I saw everything that is involved in putting an event on, and I guess that's my that was my underpins my learning and my knowledge going forward. Um, in that I've always done operations ever since, because that's what I know. But I do have a real insight into how that maps out and the risk that people take when they're organising a show. I then also worked at the venue and contractors. So I kind of saw things from their side while I was scrabbling myself out of the hole that I'd created for myself. So I like to think I've quite got quite a varied view of the world, um, which you know, serves me in good stuff, really. Yeah, I think I think that's really interesting. You've clearly, you know, you've done the organizing, you've you've gone through a, a failure in business, which I've done myself, you know, the event industry news and event tech live, they weren't my first businesses. I went through um what I thought was going to be the best thing and you know, similar kind of story. But you know, I think there's so much to so much to be learned through failings, um, as long as you do mm. learn from them. Do you know what I mean? That's that's the yeah. key to, to, to failing. I always say, in fact, I've done a podcast recently with Mr. Matt Coyne where it's, it was all about it's okay to fail. But what's interesting mm. about you is 
you know even through that failure you still wanted to work in the events industry so like you say it very much keeps you in doesn't it it doesn't once it's got a hold of you the events industry it doesn't let you go that's it you're here forever um and many people fall into it it's just one of those things that I think you either really do love or Mm. like you say within a year you've kind of gone this is not for me I'm out because it's it's just Mm. it's not like any other job is it it's it's not like any nine to five job or anything no, and I think I think that's where we're finding it the hardest, you know, some of us here, you know, all, all of us who are true event professionals, um, we've, we've always had an industry that actually if you're reasonable at what you do, you don't even need to be exceptional at it in this industry, if you're reasonable at what you do and you're a grafter equals money, you will have a job in this industry somewhere, somehow, someone mm-hmm. will pick you up. And I think that's where we're all struggling a little bit at the moment, because actually the industry isn't that now, right now, in this moment, it doesn't matter how good you are, doesn't matter what experience you've got, you know, the industry cannot support the volume of people that's, that's in it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And, and, and just to touch upon some of the things that I've seen, you know, people put out on social media, I, I guess having a pop at event professionals, it's like, oh, get a proper job, you know, stop, stop setting, you know, parties up or I think even, you know, people like DJs, I saw Graham Park, who's a, a very old school DJ, post out somebody that told him to get a proper job. It's like, you don't realise the amount of time, effort, um, over and above as well, more, more, more than often than not, that people have to go yeah. to to make events happen. You know, it's an immovable deadline, isn't it? It's like, we don't get a second go at this. It has to happen on that day at that time, yeah. or it doesn't happen at all. Um, yeah. So I think, it, I think it's and also... Our attention, really, yeah. So our attention to detail is incredible. I mean, obviously people that come to events don't see everything that goes into it, but that maybe that's why they think that the job's not as deep as it as it really is. But just as an example, I had a couple of guys outside my house last night. We we're doing a pre pre record of uh, the light it in red campaign, um, and one of them is the lighting designer who uh, usually lights you know stages to the stars. And he's at my house, and he's just like tweaking it slightly to the left, and then standing back and going. Now I can see a reflection there. You know, that level of detail is unseen, but it is absolutely there across every facet of what we do. The depth of detail and knowledge and learning and that goes into everything is extraordinary. You're so right. And I think that's the passion that comes through in people in their jobs, isn't it? They want to make it perfect. I can remember being at a status quo gig at Snetterton Racecourse, I think, or Forest when I'd first started in the events industry and their sound engineer would came out of front of desk and stood a little bit to the left and a little bit to the right and a little bit central and then went back and tweaked a little nub. And that's the level of like detail he wanted to go. For me, I couldn't hear a difference, mm. but I guess he mm-hmm. just wanted it to be so perfect. And you're so right that our industry makes everything look so seamless. I think that's part of the problem. People just turn up yeah. to events, don't they? And it just all happens yeah. and they don't see the build-up and stuff. But just mentioning yeah. about the, the the red light campaign, Lou, you know, we're recording this on the 30th of September. It probably is not going to be out quite so soon. But where can people, I guess, see your house now if they're, if they're interested? Where can they see that pre-record footage? Um, do you know where it's going to be uh, made visible? 
Um, oh yeah, I'm going to plaster it all over my LinkedIn. So just go, <laughs> just go there. I mean, what we're doing is obviously um, venues around the world uh, taking part in this this one um, where they're lit red. Um, and what we're trying to do in our very small Sussex village of you know seven thousand people is highlight on a on a really small level um, just what the repercussions of of this industry um, and the circumstances we're facing means, you know, to to our village economy. So if we've got, you know, at the moment we're stacking up to about twenty five to thirty homes in our village that are reliant on the events industry. And if you like, if you move that across the country, and you start to see the effect that we're all talking about, but nobody's seeing it. So we're trying to show what that fundamentally means and it's it's quite heartbreaking actually um we've done a map um and we've highlighted we've put a red blob on every house in the village that that's affected and visually it's quite frightening will you will you post a picture of the that that map as well as part of your linkedin post well anybody that's yeah, listening definitely. wants to check that out please do connect up with mm. lou on her linkedin and and, and see that this podcast of, of probably been published about four weeks from today recording but i think mm. it's right it's so important i've already got my red lights in my house ready to go tonight and you know it's it's things like that and the um silent uh, the peaceful protest that happened yesterday all of mm. those things are really important at the moment to really gain visibility on our sector and how out on a limb we've been left. You know, apparently we're not viable jobs yet. We make every other industry tick. So it's mm -hmm. like we are part of every sector out there. But I guess that brings us nicely on to all of the work and effort that you and many others and ESSA and AVI and AEO and associations and the BDC and other contractors involved in, in the pilot event um, you know, from my, from what I've heard, it was an amazing success. Everything was, you know, perfect, really, which I would expect nothing less than the people involved. Mm. Um, so as far as I was concerned, it was like, it could happen, right? Yeah. I want to talk to you about a little bit more about your learnings, not the intricate detail of what happened, because that'll all come out or it's already started to come out. But I think you said there were some really, really interesting learnings from you as an attendee around human behavior, right? So would you yeah absolutely would you speak to us a little bit about that what was the first thing mm -hmm. as part as an attendee that you experienced that you thought actually we need to be really mindful of when when events can come back if they take that format yeah so before before I say um that um the um the team that actually did the operational management of the pilot um, were brilliant. I think they kind of came from the companies that originally put forward the all secure kind of framework, which uh, which AEO and AEV and ESSA then took on to government. So, you know, the companies that invested, both those people that put the pilot together on the day and uh, spent the time and investment in putting together a lot of the documentation and um, you know deserve a whole bunch of credit um i mean not surprisingly and we can say this now not surprisingly the pilot passed with flying colors there were no no amends no oh no you haven't thought about this everything had been well thought through so and i don't think we'd be surprised by that you know um and well, well done to them but i think um in terms of what I learned as an attendee, even having been part of the process of writing, um, you know, documentation and and thinking through second, third layers of problems and the unintended consequences of the guidance that we put forward, um, 
I was quite surprised by how much I learned in half an hour in terms of human behavior um, and and actually what a big job we've got ahead of us in adapting our events and not being around peg and square hole but adapting our events to fall in line with human behavior uh, so just a, I guess a couple of examples to make that make sense um, one is um, one was the ambient noise level of the hall it was very quiet there were only 300 or people allowed to be there okay, yeah. um, but even so the ambient level of noise in an exhibition hall um, to combine together with mask wearing made it a very difficult um, environment to have conversation. And bearing in mind exhibitions, business events are all about having a conversation. Um, it, it became very clear that actually we've got a lot of work to do there um, in terms of how we enable exhibitors and visitors to communicate with each other. I have to say it wasn't that long until I made my way to a catering area where I could take my mask off, have a coffee and a conversation with my peers. Um, so I think it's something that certainly red flag to me that, you know, I, need, I went back and talked to my event director straight away about, you know, kind of making sure that we are incorporating perhaps more catering on the show floor whereas in the guidance uh, or not not in the guidance in the end but our, one of our knee-jerk reactions when we're starting to write the, the stuff was let's take catering away because it's a risk area actually we need to stick more of it in because it's a it's a method of enabling people to communicate see that's really interesting because i think when we when we think about exhibitions and events we we tend to think about content as the big draw right but I would imagine that even in that environment that's even more isolating did you have an experience of of going to any of the content and and what was that like so I I didn't and again kind of human behavior plays plays its part here I wouldn't say I'm an overly risk averse person but when I got to the front of the um enclosed space that was the theater I didn't I didn't want to go in <laughs> uh, it was a bit awkward for me as an event professional um and then my colleague did go in um, and she felt awkward because she felt she couldn't go out. She couldn't get out. It kind of felt like everybody had been seated and, there, and she felt stuck um, in that space because she didn't feel like she could get out because to get out, she'd, she'd not be keeping two metres distance because you need to go in in a chronological manner and out in a chronological manner. And she was like, oh, I'm stuck now. Whereas... On the show floor, quite often, I mean, the reason why quite often we'll have bench seating or we'll have standing at the back is people want to move around at exhibitions. They might want to dip in for a bit of content, but they also want the ability to dip out as well. And if we can find people, we just need to understand what that means in the new new world. The new, the new, new, new world, the next world, the, um, the forever after world. No, I, I totally get your point, Lou. I think, you know, when we, when I think about our event that we host, everything's focused around making things very easy for people to, to transition around the show, to engage with exhibitors, to, like you say, to dip in and out of that content. We don't actually wall any of our content areas out. It's just a case of you can turn up and you know what, if that session's not for you or you don't like that speaker, you can, you can go off and, you know, participate in other parts of the event because we're all we're all mm -hmm. kind of short on time aren't we so it's, it's very valuable 
Mm. Just going back to your your point on on the mask and the conversation, the ambient noise. You know, I, for me, I'm thinking now we we rely so much, don't we, on facial expressions and you know eyes lifting and smiles and you know I, I guess that could even make it certain things be interpreted the wrong way because you just can't see any of those expressions maybe if you've got yeah. a bit bo botox or something like that going off as but, well uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well they're in a massive um unintended consequence if <laughs> if you've got botox literally your eyeballs have to work really hard to get any expression going um definitely and and i think the thing is um you know when you know somebody um you you can interpret a forehead of expression and eyes and everything if you don't know somebody so if you you're looking between an exhibitor and a visitor you've never met before it's yeah we've got we've got some challenges there so do you think then that what we'll see is actually a drastic change in the model of or the makeup of what an exhibition might look like before we can get back to that model that does work so well? You know, let, let's be honest about it. Putting people on aisles, content areas featured throughout, nice feature areas, nice catering areas at the centre. That, that model works. It's great for exhibition organisers because it's very profitable. People know how to move around an exhibition that's formatted like that. But it sounds to me that it could work like that right now, but it probably wouldn't be the best experience for everybody involved. So do you think it'll change things in the interim um, or immediately after we can we can start organising events again? Well, so I'm an eternal optimist and um, and I love change. So this, this answer will probably be driven very much from my personal psyche. I would say if we don't change, we're missing a trick. Interesting. Um, because, because exhibitions are not perfect in their current state. You know, we sell things by the meter. What, what does that mean? How, how can you associate value with a per meter right? When you think about it and you think, right, what am I actually selling? I'm, I'm selling the opportunity for this company to be in front of these people and to achieve this outcome. Why, why, have we, why is that in this per square meter rate? It's, it's, it's because of that, because that's how we're charged. And actually, uh, so if we're going back to the constructs of our industry and, and why we do things the way we do them is they're underpinned by contracts and tenancies and agreements that have been running for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So if we didn't use this as an opportunity to kind of go, is that is that how we should be doing it? Um, then, then we'd be uh, fools, surely. Because yeah. there's never in our lifetime, hopefully, and never again in our lifetime, will there be an opportunity to make a switch to create something that's better than it currently is. And I think that's where my focus is with my team, my business, and with my associate, like the association that I'm part of, is that, is that we have to take the opportunities out of this and maximize them to hell, because by God, we've earned the right to do that, surely. Yeah, and I think now you're right. Now is the time where we can have the artistic license to try something new, right? I totally agree with you. You know, um, we've we've talked for many a year about it being a partnership or the potential of partnership between organizer and exhibitor, and they're being based, you know, remuneration based on results and ROI. And you know, I can see some of actually the the 
digital events going very much that way, which is a small fee up front and, you know, a, a, an overriding fee based on the number of leads generated or the number of meetings, books and things like that. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of watch that closely. We'll see what you do Lou, with your customers and your clients and, and other organizers in the industry. And if you, if you see anything really interesting in terms of format, let me know because I'd be really interested to share that with obviously the, the wider industry because we can skin a cat in many different ways right and, and that's what's beautiful about events there are so many different types of events but maybe there is now is the time to innovate around exhibitions yeah. and, and move away from the format of square meter and yeah. do something different. And I think um, I think that's one of the biggest problems we've had in the in the supply chain is that you know things have been charged on a meter basis um, and they've been been invoiced generally quite late to the show either you know fifty percent a month out from the show fifty percent after sometimes a hundred percent after and our contractor community suffered hugely they were the first ones to have the wool, the rug pulled from under them um, because uh, the spring season went uninvoiced largely mm -hmm. even though those companies had employed account managers and um, account directors accountants you know um, laborers electricians you know even some of this stuff was already on a vehicle um, and was uninvoiceable now how um so I think the whole industry, not just organisers, exhibitors, venues, the contracting community can know, I don't see how they can continue to charge in the same per unit rate as they have done before. Um, and maybe that's where we'll find where the true value is of our supply chain. Because actually, if we're paying for the value for what we're actually getting, rather than a poll, then perhaps our kind of dynamics might shift. And it's really interesting you say that because as much as we're currently talking about events not being able to go ahead, and I guess the focus is there on predominantly initially the event organizers' hands being tied by not being able to plan, deliver and, and execute on the event. You know, let's be honest about it. There actually are a number of ways that event organizers can drive revenue through the business at the moment. And I've probably got diverse businesses as well, not necessarily all in the event, you know, event delivery kind of part. They're yeah. probably media companies, they might have publications, they might have other yeah. data and revenue streams. So they, to an extent, organizers can continue to fund themselves and fund business and, and continue to work. However, the event industry supply chain if you are a sole event industry contractor there are no revenue streams at the moment are there and that's that's what's mm. most worrying about the, the the pm's announcement of these measures for up to six months is that it's that supply chain that will fall away and it needs yeah. to be a partnership between the organizers and the suppliers because who are those organizers going to turn to when they need to bring their live events back if there's no supply chain they're going yeah. to be stuck um, Absolutely. And you're looking, you know, you're looking at the, if you're, if you're still managing to get on LinkedIn and not wanting to do yourself in, um, you're looking at exceptional event people um, that are, are, are going out of the industry and actually kind of coming back to what we were talking about at the beginning, the events industry has always been quite loyal to its people, but it can't be now. Um, and that switch, that kind of um, an inability to rely on the events industry for a job, we don't as an events industry pay that well either. And that's always been fine because we've always been able to have a job in it and we've always 
and had work and you know almost work in abundance I mean we're, we're more at the other scale that actually we're working too much you know we're exhausted and all that kind of stuff now you kind of have people will be assessing whether really it's worth it um, because we don't pay that well the hours are long it's totally unsociable it wrecks relationships really is it is it that worth it or are we going to lose those people forever and I don't think that's a, a scare mongering um sentence anymore um unfortunately no really I, I i totally agree with you long hours long shifts and it's funny you should say because just yesterday um for another episode of a podcast i was um with ashley the general manager at home and expo um, talking about stress and well-being and, and i know you're very passionate about that 28 mm-hmm. percent of respondents to a stress matters survey last year those people had taken time off due to work-related stress. Um, Mm. And for me, it's like event professionals constantly run marathons. You know, there's that training that lead up to the actual event, then there's the event. But marathon runners get to chill out and rest after a marathon. We don't, we're on to the next thing and the next thing. And, you know, international travel, it's not just here in their home countries. We go off to Europe or America or wherever that client and customer Mm -hmm. is. And, mm. you know, like you say, taking all that time away from family and friends and not being around in an evening to have dinner with people and things like that, yeah. we should be paid better. Um, but it's our responsibility as well to, <laughs> yes, nego- to negotiate that. It's, it's our responsibility yeah. to negotiate that. And I think that's one of the things that as an industry, we need to come together on a little bit because competition somewhat drives down cost, right? It is a very competitive mm. market but maybe that won't be so competitive going forward if all of those talented people. But yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Why mm-hmm. would somebody potentially move out of the events industry, have a secure job that maybe fits better around their family or, or what they want, or come back to a, a, an industry that is like that and even potential still at risk if if another lockdown yes. happens after another 12 months of, after the six months or yeah. something like that. But just, there was one really important thing just to touch upon about um, the, the pilot event, which you mentioned, and it, it resonated mm. with me really well, was around the pre-show marks and the communication with that audience. You, you made a really, really valid point. What was your experience there? So I'm I'm like a little miss unsubscribe. You know, it's my New Year's resolution every year that if I've let my unsubscribes go and I've started getting junk into into my inbox, I like make make a renewed a renewed um, promise to myself that I will take the time to unsubscribe so that I've you know. So I am that person, and yet, and coming back to this human behavior and the changes that this is all bringing, and yet kind of two days out from the pilot, I was like, oh, did my registration go through? Oh, I haven't, I, I haven't been contacted. We, we got obviously a message the morning of, um, but I found myself craving to be marketed to, <laughs> which is totally absurd for me. Um, bearing in mind what I've just said. Um, so actually one of the interesting things was I would have preferred to have been contacted more by my event organiser. The event um, marketers that... out there will be cursing you right now. You do realise that. <laughs> I know. Um, but what, yeah, what, I found what, method it of, what method of delivery do you think that would be best in? Because there's many ways of contacting and communicating is emails. I, I, I'm kind of leaning towards maybe more messaging, text messaging would yeah. have been the way to go, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of um 
understanding how we process the information in terms of our expectation of what we're going to be walking into mm. you know we did we did get i mean it was the marketing that was done was very good you know the ticket you know the response that you, you know if i went back a week but busy people can't remember what happened a week ago or or kind of we i did get all the information back then it was i kind of wanted to drip feed of right have yeah. you booked your parking yet right have you have you done this have you thought you know make sure you bring your mask you know kind of just almost like a drip feed so and i think i don't again i don't know if that's going to change in six months time we've got this awful kind of problem now where where we are unable to run any events uh, test events um until the government say differently yeah. for potentially a considerable amount of time and yet we're all organizing our q2 q3 q4 events i've got a huge event in q uh end of q3 um next year and i need to be operationally planning it within an inch of its life now but i still don't know what that human behavior is going to look like what we'll be used to what we won't be tolerating anymore because i know we talked about um you know will be forgiven for things in six months time will be will we mm. so i forgave i forgave new zealand air for not replying to an email for three months but by the time it got to four months i was like no sorry you've had enough time now to get your thing together to get your customer service team on a roll that's that's all i was prepared to give you and everybody that walks through our doors will in their mind they probably haven't even thought about it there will be a point at which they will or won't be forgiving and unfortunately all this time where we're not allowed to be open is the time that i think they would have been forgiving and i'm concerned that as an event industry we come live hopefully in in march to a very unforgiving audience and, I, and we've got a way of testing it i think you make such a good point such a good point you know people have been used to going back to shops to bars to restaurants to you know probably almost somewhat resembles kind of very close to what they were used to before okay there's some social distancing mm -hmm. measures and people are wearing masks but that'll all be very normal and natural as well if it's still in place in the next six to 12 months mm -hmm. yet their expectations around us will that we will have had to got everything perfect because surely in their mind it's still 12 months 18 months down the line why have you not got this sorted why is it why are you still figuring this out why is it not mm -hmm. And as an industry, we're always under the pressure of delivering amazing experiences and doing everything perfect anyway. Mm -hmm. Makes such a good point that we're not actually being given the chance to bring out everything up to speed. And mm -hmm. we, we're not like other industries. We don't, we don't get every single day to work on an event and refine it and tweak it like supermarkets do or, or bars and restaurants do. They can walk in there and go, well, that didn't quite work yesterday. So we're going to mm -hmm. try it this way today. And if that doesn't yeah. work right this way tomorrow, we have the opening of the event and, and back to your original experience, you know, I think it's, it's so interesting, like how the world might look like in six months and how actually that pilot event maybe even bears no resemblance to what we're going to be delivering in, in six months. Yeah. Do you, do you think there's anything that we could do or would speed up that six months but, you know i'm talking to people about rapid testing i think yourself mentioned potentially you know if a vaccine came into play mm -hmm. what, what are your thoughts on on those two sides of things well obviously the vaccine is pretty critical 
um, I think for the future of events, because if we don't have a vaccine, there will always be that susceptibility to uh, local lockdown restrictions. Um, you know, the kind of the the Corona coaster that we've been on is 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 to some degree always going to carry on. Um, and it's I think it's as much about living with with the situation as to doing away with it entirely. I think testing is absolutely critical to that. I think that going back to the kind of human behavior and the unintended consequences of all of our actions, because there will always be them. It can, it worries me. I'm look, looking with interest around Vienna and how, how that maps out in terms of the actual process of testing people before they get into the, into the space, almost corralling people, some of which may have COVID in in at a at a um at a funnel point and um you know is there is there not a problem with that <laughs> you know we don't want to put something in and then cause something else by the sheer process of of having to do it so i mean i'm nowhere near an expert without our business has kind of signed signed a kind of um research letter with a company to try and get them to uh, get government grant grants and funding to push that forward a step further but that's as far as we've got in terms of understanding what that really means what that might look like um, and I suppose on that side in terms of me being the eternal optimist at least we've got six months now to kind of not sit back I don't think any of us are sitting back but to almost see that problem try and solve itself mm. um, rather than us trying to push it forward. I think, unfortunately, we do know from, from what's happened, you know, the pilot went ahead, the pilot was was a total tick box success, um, thanks to the associations um, and the, all the efforts that they put into that. Um, we've done everything we could do and we still couldn't go ahead. So it is, unfortunately, out of our hands. Well, you say that, but that interestingly brings me on to my next point. You're currently <laughs> vice chair for ESSA. In January, you will be chair. So actually it will be you that's driving it forward as the, the head of the association. So, but not to not to talk too much about what you, what, you know, coronavirus and the pilots. What are you most, to, to bring it up to a, a lighter point, what are you most excited mm. about getting your hands and your teeth into when you become chair at ESSA, what's, what's, what, what can you tell us that's on the, on the plan? Like what, what's most on the plan? Yeah. Well, anybody that knows me knows that I'm quite, you know, um, process driven and, um, and I like solutions and creating, you know, I'm definitely a kind of, are we, is there a problem? How can we solve it? Let's solve it then. Why wouldn't we solve it? Like, just crack on and do it um so there are downsides to that which i'm sure my fellow board members will be busy holding my holding me back and kind of going all right hold on a second coming back to those unintended consequences and the amount of times i say that is because i experience a lot of them in my in my career um I think, I mean, there's no, there's no denying that taking the chair of ESSA in January is, is a slightly daunting um, task. You know, we've, we've got a community that's bleeding yeah. from the arteries. It's, um, it's horrendous. Coming back to kind of also what I said about being 
putting ourselves in the best possible position I feel that it's the board's duty not just mine as chair but you know I'm one of with 12 board uh, members and then also the membership themselves I think it's our duty our responsibility um, to make the best of every opportunity that we can get in in um, the new in the new year and ongoing um, and I think a strong board is really part of that you know we're really strong connected um, empowered board that is is feeding directly from the membership of what the membership want what the membership need um, is is important and ESSA is all about that anyway um, so it's definitely an area that I feel like we need to focus on particularly in light of what's happening yeah so that's going to be the main main focus and concentration is getting getting ESSA running um for the members with the current situation that we're having to deal with which is a continuation of what we're already doing there's not a board member or and you know the secretariat both of ESSA and the AEO that are not working you know 18 20 odd hours every day yeah um, no I, I totally agree you know I, we are members of the AEO and we're continually being updated with information there's opportunities to discuss business challenges, the industry. And, and for me, actually, more than ever, associations are so important now as being that support network as, as business owners and suppliers and contractors and organizers within a sector. Because otherwise, you're kind of siloed on your own, trying to deal with it on your own. And, you know, um, it, it's not, a, I guess, a it's not a counseling club, is it? But it's a community, it's heart of people that are all in similar positions, but might just be able to give you that, you know, that cup of coffee that you have that chat and it changes your mood for that day or it gives you that spark mm. of the idea of, oh, actually, well, they're doing this, so I can do this. But associations mm. are so important now. And, I, and as an industry, I think we should support our associations because they've shown more recently why they are so important with lobbying with government and dealing and being that bridge between us as an industry mm. and the people that can enact change and law and things like that. So mm. yeah, to, 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 if the AOS or AAV or any other association are listening to this, you're doing a tremendous job mm. and long may it continue, but we need to support them as businesses because without our membership, without our import, without our drive as well, then obviously they wouldn't exist. So. On, on well, the SSA, yeah, sorry, Luke, go. So I think I think that that's exactly where it's at, is that the, um, I think there's sometimes an expectation that there's this huge business called ESSA or the AO that, you know, that have got stacks of cash and tendrils mm. in every direction and are, you know, almost like the mothership. Um, and actually what the mem what a membership community is or an association is is the sum of all of its members uh, and that's where i feel that the membership is so exciting because especially where essa is quite a broad membership of of event suppliers so you know i'm um not what you'd call a traditional contractor i don't sell something by the meter i sell you know a service yeah. rather than a thing um, and, you know, there's AV in there, there's catering companies in there, there's all kinds of different companies, as well as the more traditional stand contractor um, setup. We are the sum of our parts. And actually, if you look across our membership, we've got this massive opportunity and uh, being the sum of our parts to create a difference. And that's why um, 
like forgetting the kind of chair, vice chair, board type thing. I joined ESSA because I wanted to make a difference. Um, and ESSA gives that opportunity, gives you that platform to be in a working group to kind of go, hey, this is always wrong. Why don't we do something about it? Um, and that's the members doing that, not they're the um, secretariat of the vehicle to make that happen. But the members are the people that actually make the difference. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And I guess that brings me on to one of the final things that I'd like to touch upon with you. And I know that you're very passionate about is your your involvement with Eventwell. Um, why is that important to you and, and what are you currently doing with Eventwell or how is Eventwell operating within the industry at the moment in terms of supporting people that, you know, maybe need that support? Well, I think there's no denying that we rely on our freelancers um, a lot and, and Eventwell Pledge has kind of come out of um, something that we a uh, few of us did a few years ago when a friend and colleague who was a freelancer uh, was ill um, was ill for quite a period of time and she relied on day rate work um, to you know to live and with her treatment we were concerned that she wouldn't be able to have her treatment and earn money uh, at the same time so um, a very informal group of us put together a bit of an Excel spreadsheet and was like, right, what are your skills? What could you be? What could you give? Like, could you do a day? If she couldn't do that day on site at Olympia, could you do that day? Are you qualified for what she was employed for that day? And could you just fill it in, fill it in for free and she can keep the money? So that was years ago. And so since then, I've been trying to think of a mechanism whereby we can deliver at real point of need because um, I think need is where we are now at. Um, and, and also seeing on LinkedIn, a lot of people saying, how can I help? If I've worked with you, I'll give, I'll give you a LinkedIn recommendation. There's a very um, individual help going out there. But in order to make that effective and real, uh, then kind of needed to be an industry mechanism to enable people who want to help don't know how to help um don't even know where to start to put into a, a mechanism and then on the other side of it a uh, kind of an anonymous way for somebody to receive that help um bearing in mind this the stigma right mm. wrongly um that people sometimes feel when they um are needing or something and I know from personal experience that um, it's hard to ask for help sometimes you feel especially if it's because your business has failed it can be really hard to say I have failed I need help it's hard enough to say I've failed mm -hmm. um, and in this situation people haven't failed either so this whole swathe of people that are in this situation that we are none of us have been prepared for and seeing that the run up to Christmas was not going to be pleasant. I know that there have been times in my life where there's particular trigger points, um, things like your inability to buy a child a Christmas present because you are broke. That's a massive trigger. And, and, and the triggers then affect people's mental health. So it's really important to find a way so that whoever's working in our industry if they have a need, whether that's food, a bed for the night, a you know some money to buy their child a Christmas present, we as an industry needed to be able to 
make that happen. And so absolutely delighted that um, caught up with Helen Moon from Eventwell and we had a chat and within like a matter of two days, she kind of set up this mechanism. We've now had to kind of find some extra volunteers because the volume is starting to pick up um, and she can't handle it on her own, which is great news. Uh, so the Ops Nest have popped in a couple of um, uh, volunteers to work with her on it uh, while they're looking for other work as well and getting something positive out of it as well. So if um, if I can just be totally salesy and I'm not a salesperson, so this will be all wrong. But um, if you have anything, whether it's time, money, um, an opportunity and you don't know how to get it out into the wider industry, please go to Eventwell Pledge and just offer it. It can be anonymous. You don't have to have your name put on social media as being a person to have given something. There's a whole anonymous layer in there that nobody sees. Um, and it's very discreet, both on the giving and on the receiving side. So please, please do, do give what you can because I, am, I fear that the volume of requirement is about to get really big. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's not salesy. It's, it's so important that there are individuals like yourself and Helen. I mean, I've known Helen for years now and a testament to Helen because she's kept up with Eventwell for such a long time. She's tried mm -hmm. things, she's tried new things. She's, she's been so willing to adapt and change and try and, you know, really engage with the industry, with Eventwell and, and, and everything that they do. So, you know, without Helen, I, I think the industry would be really lacking in experience and, and pushing this industry yeah. forward. It, it actually scares me that we, I know we've got stress matters, but we wouldn't really have any other representation or anybody speaking about this, this problem within our sector. Mm -hmm. And going back, we know that, you know, we, we know the events industry, the way that it's set up, the way that our jobs are, it does affect people at certain times in different ways. Um, so I, I repeat what Lou said, if you can give anything, time, money, you know, even if you just want to lend a helping hand in the, in the short term, if you need help, go and check out the Event Well Pledge, connect up with Helen, connect up with Lou and her team. Um, we are certainly a supporter of Event Well and everything that they do at Event Industry News and have been for a long time and will continue to be. Um, so if you can help at all, please go and do that. But Lou, just on that, where, where should people literally go to to kind of see Eventwell? Is it just the Eventwell website or is there a dedicated yeah. landing page for the, the pledge? Yeah, there's a, if, you, if you just put into Google Eventwell pledge, it will take you there. Or if you just go to the Eventwell website itself, it's on, and they're on socials as well. Um, but there's a mechanism in there. You just uh, click on, on the UK, make sure you click on the UK program. So since it's launched, it's gone a bit global. Um, but um, click on the UK one, um, go in there. There's You can either select something that's kind of predefined like a 15 pound for a kid's birthday Christmas present or something, or, or there's a, you can put in anything you want. There's a kind of other, um, and somebody kind of has, has pledged, I think um, an outfit for a work interview or train tickets to get to an interview or, you know, so you can be really imaginative um, as well with what you want to give so that it's, it's meaningful to you. I think and that's one of the best. After the situation we're in now, um, I'm hoping that, you know, when we, when we are doing event um, 
events in the future and there's a charity thing we're hoping to build up a kind of benevolent fund mm-hmm. um so that ongoing once we are through this that the events industry is supporting its people in a more real and effective way well i've got two ideas and i'm sure that you, you well first of all i think it's amazing that the way that event well and the pledge is set up is that you know where your money's going and what it's being used for i think you know, there's many charities that obviously tell people how their money's being used. But when you give or you donate, it doesn't necessarily actively say unless it's for one specific thing. So I think it's really mm. nice that you 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 play a role. You have a part to play in kind of like, I'd really like my money to go towards this. Like, I would love my money to go towards buying a child a Christmas present. I've got a long little lad. I know how important that is. I know how mm-hmm. tough it, it would be if, if I couldn't afford to. So I think that's a beautiful part of, of the pledge. And as an industry, I'd like to see everybody come together and maybe take one pound off of every ticket, off of every registration or something of that scale that goes back into a system like this and is our way to support everybody that's a part of that event and the wider events industry. I know the US have the Search Foundation and they do a fantastic job of raising money, but something like that would be so intrinsically easy to manage and measure. And and, and, ultimately... Put the pound, put put the ticket of, to your um, punter up by a quid. Don't necess- it doesn't necessarily need to come out of your your revenue streams. But something mm. like that, the thousands of people that we host at exhibitions and events and award ceremonies and all these kinds of things, yeah. we can literally raise millions for our industry as a fund to kind of at that hard time. So. I think it's... Well, it would be amazing if event industry news can pledge to um, make that a thing. I, I think so, absolutely. Um, Put it up. Uh, well, why not? Lou, thank you very much for coming on today. It's it's and we've covered a lot there, right? We've covered so much. <laughs> we've covered ESSA, we've covered event well, we've covered the pilot events, we've covered testing. Um, I think you've been really insightful. Thank you for sharing your experiences. I think you know, going into the or knowing about the pilot events, the one thing that I did not expect to come out of it was something around attendee experience. I think it's so valuable that you've shared that with us. Um, We'll obviously get you back on again, hopefully in a more positive light about events happening and the troubles and trials and tribulations of operations and where that might go and all that kind of stuff. But like I said, thanks for coming on and we'll catch you in the next one. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate, especially the airtime on the associations and event world pledge because um, yeah, it's all about what you can, what we as individuals can do to make a difference. Mm